Welcome to the Enduro Method Podcast. Enduro Method is an online strength and conditioning program built for those who ride by those who ride. We are professional coaches dedicated to building the best and most revolutionary off-the-bike training for dirt bikers around. We are offering a special discount to our podcast listeners. Use discount code EMPODCAST22 for 50% off your first month of subscription. There is more information and a link in the description of this episode. Today on the show, we have a great guest, Jared Becker. Jared is a factory KTM West Coast trainer, gym owner, and avid cyclist. Today, we talk about how he got started on his own fitness journey, where it has led him, and how he works to develop athletes to not only perform better, but also lead healthier lives through good nutrition and mindful training. And now, on to the show. All right, Joshua Rempel here with the Enduro Method Podcast. Today's guest is Jared Becker. And he is owner and founder of Re-Evolve and also the KTM West Coast um, trainer. So, yes, Darren, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Yeah, looking forward to uh, some discussion about training and all things life. Yeah, so maybe give a quick backstory on kind of how you got started. Um, yeah, a little bit of your background. Okay, well, uh, let's see. I am... Uh, 34 years old. Um, I've pretty much spent my whole life on two wheels of some sort. I uh, grew up in Michigan, kind of Lansing area. And um, yeah, I mainly grew up riding BMX and just was the classic kid (laughs) building jumps in my yard, building wood jumps. Remember just, you know, the the progression almost every kid has had, right? Where you build these little small kickers and then you're jumping to flat grass and then you build a bigger jump and so that was my childhood is pretty much crashing on bicycles. And then uh, my dad raced motocross when he was young and then started getting into it as me and my brother getting into it again as me and my brother got a little older. So, um, you know, for, I don't know exactly, but I'd say probably around eight, nine years old, got like a little mini bike and we're riding around and pretty much spent a lot of time on dirt bikes from the age of then till well, pretty much 19. And, um, I always wanted to race dirt bikes. Um, but we were not financially that well off, so we couldn't really. And, um, my parents pretty much made a deal. They said when I was 16, that I could race dirt bikes, but I had to pay for everything. So, um, yeah, I was working a lot and, uh, just so I could buy a clapped out dirt bike and race. And so that was pretty sweet. Um, I started racing BMX around, around 14 years old and then, uh, raced BMX for forever. And then, so basically once I started racing moto and when I was 16, I raced BMX and moto from 16 to like 19 years old. And then, uh, at 20 years old, um, I turned professional in BMX and then that pretty much took off and I had to get rid of the moto side of things. Cause that was obviously taking all my time and focus. Um, and so that was kind of like a big shift where, you know, a couple of years before I had turned pro and BMX, obviously the focus had to really shift towards a lot more focused training, more than just riding the bike and going to the track. And uh, yeah, so pretty much from like 19 to 20 was all in and uh, yeah, racing BMX all over the country. And then uh, I'm trying to think, so 2010, uh, my girlfriend and I moved out to Phoenix because 
pros were racing a more legitimate track, what was called like a super cross track, which has a really big starting hill and more gap jumps. And they had built a track out here in Phoenix and uh, honestly kind of came out here to chase that dream. And um, it was good. I did. Um, throughout my entire BMX career, it was good, but I was never at a high enough level where I was like making a living off it. I was making extra money, but it was never to a point where, you know, I was having a steady income. So um, pretty much when I moved out here, I started my business of training people as well. And, um, you know, I had done it for a few years, just kind of off, you know, I didn't have a business back in Michigan, but I was training a lot of BMX racers. So, um, but yeah, I made it kind of legit here when we moved here in 2010. And yeah, the rest has been history. I've, uh, I don't know how in depth you want me to go, but yeah, I raced BMX till professionally till 29 broke both my wrists. And that was kind of my final injury. That was like, I think I need to shift gears. I need to play a little more of a grown up game and realize that I need to provide with my business and I can't be chucking myself over 40 foot gaps every weekend with seven other guys. And, uh, <laughs> So, so that's when things kind of shifted and I always knew later in life, I would find mountain biking. And yeah. so I, around 2016, I got into that cross country mountain biking and have been pretty full bore with that. I'm the kind of guy who likes competition. I like to have stuff to train with. And so I've been pretty heavy in the mountain biking and I currently race cross country mountain bikes professionally for construction zone racing, which is a team out of this area. So, um, that brings me here. And it's been quite a journey, but everything's happened for a reason. And it's been a cool shift. Yeah, that's awesome. So back in like uh, that 2010 era, what were you noticing and what kind of led you to helping train others and kind of be like, hey, we can, you know, gain some other stuff by not just doing bike stuff, but also I'm assuming supplement yeah. and gym work. Yeah, so when I turned pro... Um, shortly before that, I started working with a really well-known coach, um, for BMX racing. He had trained, you know, the silver medalist for the Olympics for BMX and stuff like that. And just a really reputable guy. And, uh, you know, I went to, this was when I was still at this time living in Michigan. Um, I went with him to, he lives in San Diego, spent a week with him. And, and that was honestly a really cool experience. Cause one, I learned a lot, obviously, and definitely it's funny because I didn't notice it so much at that time, but it was like shortly after that experience, it's like, wait, that's something I want to do. Like what he just did to me and the knowledge he just gave me in like, that's what this guy's doing for a living. It was like a total, like, can I really make my hobby, my job, Right. you know? And so he really, um, helped to kind of transform me and just really put my focus into like, okay, yeah, there is a lot more. Cause I had been doing gym training at the time, but well, it's kind of funny, actually, because even when I was a young little 14-year-old, I can still remember having a pad of paper in my garage next to my bicycles, and I would write down my workouts I did every day. And it's funny to look back on it because I had no freaking idea what I was doing. <laughs> like, I was just doing the total wrong training, but I had no guidance. I grew up in a really small town. Um, I had no idea. I was just kind of pulling stuff from what I thought I should be doing, but, you know, hindsight it was totally wrong. And, um, so I tell all my young kids I work with now, I'm like, I'd have killed to have someone like me telling you what to do at my age. You know, I right. could have, could have cut a lot of corners and fixed a lot of mistakes, but you know, as I always say too, I'm, I'm happy it happened because that foundation is kind of what made me the way I am now. And, 
you know, doing two minute wide open sprints is not really something you should do for BMX racing, but I did it then. And Hey, maybe that helps me up a two minute climb now on my mountain bike. So, um, everything has a transition, but, uh, yeah, my coach at that time was really the guy that made me realize like, that's the way I want to go in my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I know for me, I had kind of like a, a similar experience when I found somebody who, um, that I started to learn from in the strength and conditioning world. But up until that point, I never thought at least my, uh, through school and stuff, I was like, oh, I don't want to be a coach. I don't want to be a teacher. You know, that was mm-hmm. never something like that. I was thinking I'd pursue later in life. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the cool thing about teachers. And that's where, you know, there's, there's a lot of them, but there's not that many special ones. And, right. um, it's cool. You know, I was fortunate enough to find one and he was a passionate, knowledgeable guy. And just the way he w- wrote, you know, the way his knowledge kind of rolled off on me, um, you know, of course, now my philosophies are different, maybe a little bit, but he definitely has some core things, but it was just more the way he impacted my mentality. And it was just really cool. You know, I'm thankful to have him because who knows if I'd even be doing this, if it wasn't for him, he just really had a, you know, big play on my life essentially. Yeah. That's awesome. And then how did that work into um, um, becoming the West coast trainer for KTM? So then when I, so at this point I'm living out in Phoenix. Um, that was when I had moved out here just kind of because of that BMX supercross track that was built out here. And, um, you know, I had my business at this time and I was training some like amateur motocross guys. And I knew a couple of the mechanics here in town for moto and, uh, one of the guys I trained his son for BMX, but he had done mechanic work for a lot of arena cross guys. And he knew uh, Chris Blos really well. Um, so basically he got me in touch with Chris at it would have been the 2014 Supercross, Phoenix Supercross. I was at the 2014 Phoenix Supercross. And at the time, Chris was racing, obviously, 450s um, and had some success at that point, but really wasn't doing much structured training. And so honestly, from that point on, I started working with Chris Blows halfway through that season and um, we got a ton of success and actually finished ninth that year at the finals against all the big dogs. That was the year Villapoto won the title and stuff. Um, And so that was like my first taste of like really working with someone at the top, top level. And it was just cool. It was like, you know, it was to be totally honest. I still say it to this day, but it's like, I'm training someone that I look up to. You know what I mean? Like these are yeah. guys I'd be, whether it's following on Instagram or whatever, like this is one of the baddest dudes in the game. And like, he's listening to what I'm saying. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, so, so that was cool. And then just kind of with Chris, I evolved into more and more people. And then um, I started working with Max Gersten. I'm sure that's the name, you know, yeah. um, and I still work with both those guys. Those are my two guys. I kind of have grandfathered into my training program and um and then honestly, Chris, or I mean, Max got me in touch with Taylor Robert, who lives yeah. in Arizona, in Phoenix area. And um, just through word, and then me and Taylor got in touch, and they have, there was kind of the start of a program to kind of have basically KTM with a trainer, and or have their own trainer. And uh, so I kind of did a, little, did a little trial time with Taylor. And um, yeah, the rest is basically history. I've been with Taylor full time. Um, me and him just got done with the gym session a little bit ago, um, but I'm pretty with, much with Taylor every single morning, Monday through Friday. 
um, whether it's we're out in the desert pounding out motos or sprints. And, um, and then with Taylor, it's just evolved. So now I have the full West coast roster, which is awesome. So I, you know, Taylor's the only guy I'm with here full time because he is in Phoenix and then I have, you know, Dante Oliveira, who's in uh, California. And then I've got, got all the, all those guys. So now I have Oliveira and then, you know, I know you guys are a little more with the hard and So, you know, Tristan Hart and Colton Haker, I work with both of them. Nice. And uh, yeah, so, th- so those guys have been awesome to work with. And then I have um, Austin Walton, factory Husky, uh, Brandy Richards, who ra- races for KTM. She's a total beast, honestly. So multiple or ISD champ and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, couple, and then Kai Aiello. Um, so yeah, I've got a couple rippers, honestly. Like I said, it kind of goes back to when I first started working with Chris. It's like, man, I'm fortunate to be working with guys that I have major respect for. I mean, they're the best of the best. And uh, they, believe it or not, still listen to what I say. <laughs> so it's good. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. What is your... Um, so going from like off-season to on-season or in-season training especially mm-hmm. with the ones you're really hands-on with. Um, don't have to get super into it, but I mean, what are some of your bigger takeaways from like, what are you trying to promote during off season when you're, you know, a couple months out from, from the races coming up to more shifting focus and getting into when you get into in season? Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it, I'm probably going to say this a thousand times today with a thousand things, but it is kind of what I live and die by. Um, it's going to be different for everyone <laughs> is the short answer, but um, you know, it depends on the athlete's mentality, attitude, how, you know, it, like for, it, Taylor's really easy for me because I'm with them all the time. So I can really see, I can learn to read body language and I can learn to feel essentially his emotions and I can see when he needs time, you know, cause the tricky thing with athletes specifically, usually, especially successful athletes, they don't have an off switch. Right. Um, and so they could be super blown out and adrenally fatigued, but they'll tell you they're fine. <laughs> and so that's where a coach really needs to have a keen eye and be able to say, I know what you're telling me, but I'm going to tell you what I'm seeing. And I'm going to, you know, so, uh, right. but long story short, off season is very, let's chill out. Let's, let's, you know, at least a good two weeks of just forgetting about it all. I don't need you riding a dirt bike. I don't need you pedaling a bicycle. I don't need you lifting weights. Let's just reset the brain, um, sleep in, eat some food that you want, live a life that you want to live during the season when you can't, you know? And, um, and then we, and then we shift focus and, you know, it depends, you know, what's tricky for me and what makes this question hard is like the guys I'm training are doing totally different things, you know? So, you know, Dante's race, Dante and Austin are racing two hours works and grand prix races, you know, Colton and Tristan are racing four hour hard enduros part of the season and then eight minute enduro cross motos the next part of this. So it's very, very tricky and everything changes because of that. Um, but yeah, generally, you know, the focus in the off season, you know, I don't want to get too textbook here, but, uh, is going to be good base focus of endurance and endurance base with the strength base. Um, like kind of with Taylor, we've just finished a good strength base as he's going to start getting into um, more races where we won't ignore the gym, but we'll fade away from it a little more and put more emphasis on certain bikes set up and bike things. So, um, but yeah, off season is definitely a time to focus on a little more base, build the strength and create a foundation that can get them through a season because I'm not going to blow them out with 
ridiculous workouts in the season. And I'm not going to kill them all the time in the season because the stress of racing one, the fatigue from racing is huge Two, you have the stress of the race that's adding to that fatigue and just the preparation of all that. So there's a big psychological component to it as well that I find a lot of guys have trouble recovering from in the race, you know, especially if they have like back-to-back race weekends, um, you're not going to be able to do much during that week, you know? Right. So it's, it's going to be more about let's recover and keep things revved up, but we need to rely on what we built at the start of the season. Um, so, so that's, you know, as I'm sure, you know, that's the biggest part of training is anyone can slap workouts down on a, on training peaks or on a computer or on a piece of paper, but you know, I, I explain it like cooking. I, I can give you all the ingredients to make the best banana bread in the world. But if you don't know the amounts and the dosages to put those ingredients in, your banana bread could taste like crap or it could be the best thing you've ever eaten. So that is the, that is the magic in training is in the periodization and the prescription and the volume and in the intensity, right time and everything. So um, I think I answered your question really bad, but that's, that's it. I- <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It, it is so true. Um, and the other thing that's interesting about it from a, you know, like we as individuals kind of we can feel or seem to think we can feel the difference between like a training stress and a a emotional stress or lifestyle stress, but the way our bodies kind of react to it, it doesn't really know the difference. So not at all. You're stressed out from racing or stressed out from eating bad or stressed out from not sleeping or uh, relationships or whatever. It just kind of, you know, it just always compounds. It's all the cortisol release in the body. Right. It doesn't matter if it's a fight with your girlfriend or a four hour moto. It yeah. doesn't matter. So, so yes, you're absolutely right. Being able to regulate. Do you have, so like working with Taylor where it's real hands-on, you're seeing him almost every day, you know, like you were saying, you're able to kind of recognize that even if he's like, yeah, I'm ready to go want to push. It's like, mm-hmm. eh, maybe, you know, take it a little easier today. How do you have markers that you give out or talk about with your more remote athletes? Yes, absolutely. Um, and this might, this people ask me about stuff like this a lot and i think my answer always surprises them but uh i well if anyone who's ever trained with me knows almost anytime i ever talk to them the first question i always ask them is how do you feel (laughs) it's it's the most basic question in the world but uh once you can really learn to understand how you feel um it can tell us everything and and so i guess when i say that people ask me this question a lot like I have nothing against any of this stuff at all, but I get asked a lot, you know, obviously like right now, whoop straps are really big. Um, The the hot subject, right? I I already hit it. Um, So whoop straps are big. Um, You know, the, whether, you know, the Garmin Phoenix has really good ability to monitor certain things and stuff. And so to answer your question, I don't always use hardcore data points with people for a number of reasons. Um, one, they're really not that accurate. Uh, and two, I guess where I differ from most coaches is, and I'm going to try not to go too far off subject with this, but uh, I really, 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 really teach the people I work with how to listen to their body. And I tell everyone all the time, once you develop a relationship with your body, it is telling you everything you need to know at every moment. It is just whether or not you're aware enough to be able to interpret it and understand it. And so 
once you understand that it beats any metric that a whoop strap or anything is going to give you because at the end of the day those things are all an algorithm and they are all going off data points from you and other people and i tell people every day your body is not an algorithm in 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 these like i said these relationship stresses financial stresses training stresses um dehydration stresses nutrition stresses these all compound in different ways that can't be weighed or measured all the time. And so once you develop that ability to understand and listen and say, okay, this is what my body's telling me. Okay. Why do I have this sensation? Why is this food making me feel this way? Or I notice every time I eat this food, I have this sensation or I feel inflammation in my knees or I feel this or that. So, um, to answer that, I don't always have hard data points. It's more of a questionnaire of simple things. How do you feel? How are you sleeping? Um, how's your diet been? How are, you know, do you have gas? Do you have bloating? Do you have, because that's an, a direct way of really knowing what's going on in the body and uh, HRV score can't always tell you that. Right. So, um, I think I, and, and, and I think I differ from a lot of people on that, but, but the important thing to know there is I'm not bashing whoop straps and I'm not bashing any of that because I think those things can be extremely health helpful. But I always tell my people that use them, I said, use it as something to clarify what you're feeling, right? So don't, don't wake up and open the app and look at what it's telling you. First, lay there and think, how am I feeling? What do I feel like? Okay, I feel good today. I feel rested. My heart rate feels low. Um, I just checked my resting heart rate with my fingers and it feels good. Oh, okay, let me open that. Oh, yeah, the whoop is saying exactly what I feel. Cool. That's good. You're, it's going in line with what you're feeling. So I think a lot of people get lost in it because they learn to rely on that stuff too much. And then they forget about just feeling. Right. And so, um, I also work with a lot of cyclists and, um, I always, you know, we train with power and we train with heart rate and I always tell them, I'm like, we want to use power and we want to use heart rate for training variables so that we can hit certain target zones and this and that. But I always tell them, I don't want you racing with it. And I've had the argument a lot where they're like, well, I want to be able to see my heart rate so I know when I'm going to blow up. Or if, if I'm going up a climb, if I'm going too hard, I want to be able to see that heart rate and know. And I always give them the same answer. I said, if we've done this much training and you don't know your body well enough to know when you're going to blow up or not, we've missed the boat. We've missed the marker. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's really important, I think, for people to understand like, Learn how you feel first. Don't put a number on everything. Once you know how you feel, then you have a true gauge and you can use those numbers to clarify it. But your number one tell all is, what are you feeling like? And, and then you develop the ability to really listen to your body. And it's hard. It's hard. It takes time. It's not something, you know, I'm still working with it with people I've been working with for a while, but they're getting comfortable and understanding it. And I've personally done it myself for years and I can personally feel every little thing that's going on and I can understand when I'm having you know right down to like oh, I'm craving this so I know what that means okay I need to brush this up and brush that up and then boom the cravings are gone so I think that's the scary part of the world we live in now is we almost have more data points than ever but people are almost more out of touch with their bodies than ever which is crazy to think of so yeah yeah no, I yeah completely agree I've um similar I used i did the whoop for like three months just to kind of try it out yep and 
I felt like in the beginning, I mean, it was kind of fun. It's new stuff. You know, you're looking. Yeah, at, absolutely. You know, and it's, it's good. Right. Yeah. But it, I had a similar experience. One of the things that got me was with the overall, just the fatigue metric. It's like you can't, it does a decent job, it seems like, of working on the conditioning aspects, right? If you're doing either a right. gym session or outside. But anytime you start introducing like strength training, yeah, it, it doesn't really account for that. I know because it's a totally different stress on the system. And yeah, exactly. exactly. It's that the algorithm can't handle it. But then I'm like, okay, if it can't pick this up, what else is it not picking up? So how how useful are all these these new numbers right. and caught up in? And then the other part of that was like, I had all this new data, but I didn't do shit about it. Exactly. <laughs> like, so that's the whole really other changing. thing. Yeah. Exactly. And I find that with cycling, you know, in cycling, we have the ability to be able to see so many metrics, you know, power and cadence, heart rate, and all this pedal efficiency, left, right balance, this and that. And it's detrimental to 90% of people, unless you have a coach that lives by his computer looking at it. And right. I find that people actually get lost because they have so many data points that they get lost and they don't focus on the couple ones that really matter. So they try to fix all these little half percent data points. And it's like in your process to focus on this half a percent data point, do you realize that you're missing 5% here and 10% here? Right. So it becomes, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And then the other thing to, to elaborate on what you said is, you know, again, I'm, I'm not personally for my training. I don't use anything right now and I haven't for a long time and I've had the best success I've ever had. But again, I've developed a relationship, but I have used this stuff. I remember using HRV like nine or 10 years ago. And, uh, and then I used it and I quit using it for a while. And then when I started racing mountain bikes again, I used HRV. And there's a couple things that go into what is kind of exactly what you're saying. It starts to mess with your head. Yeah. And I had, I'll never forget it. But when I first started racing mountain bikes and uh, I went out, and I was doing my HRV and every system used it a little different, but this one had kind of typical HRV where if it gave you a green light, you were good to go. If it gave you an amber light, maybe you were kind of on the fence. Maybe you should back off a little bit, but you can still train. And then if it gave you a red light, it was like, no way, don't train. You're way overtrained. Da, 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 da. Well, all the way up to the event, I was feeling great, feeling great, feeling great. I'm getting greens. I'm getting greens. I'm getting greens. I woke up that morning. I'm laying in bed. I test my HRV and it gives me a red. And I remember the feeling of like, holy shit, I've got to have my best performance in three hours. And this just gave me a red light. And I will never forget sitting on the line of that race thinking like, you're off, you're off. You're not, you're not there today. You're not there. This gave you a red light. But deep down, I remember feeling like I feel good and my body feels good. Long story short, I went out, went out and had one of the best races I've ever had. <laughs> and so after that moment, it was kind of that whole thing of like, and that's where I think people get in trouble with the whoop straps. Yes, they can be helpful, but they can also be detrimental because if, if anyone's been at any level in a sport, there's a lot of mental aspect going on. And if you've got something like that, that's taking away from your mental aspect, that can be just as detrimental, if not more detrimental than actually being a red light. Right. And so, so that's kind of the whole other side of that equation is it starts to play mind games with people. And it's just like a training program. I tell anyone, the mentality is 90% of the game. You could be on the worst training program in the world. 
your coach could be giving you all the wrong workouts. But if you believe in it and you believe in everything that you're doing, you are going to get success. And so once you incorporate something like that, where it's now putting a question mark on everything you do, it's not good. It's not good. So, so that is the whole other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's interesting because I've had similar experiences with stuff I've used in the past. Like it's good. And I think everyone can, should go through a process similar to it because it does make you more knowledgeable, but that's the evolution of an athlete. You know, it's, I sit here and talk all high and mighty right now, but I went through the same pitfalls. That is what is needed in order to become better. And that's, that goes back to our beginning talk today. That's what having a knowledgeable coach is all about. Now I can pass this knowledge on to people. So they don't need to make the same pitfalls, right? My coach passed knowledge on to me. So I don't make the same mistakes. That's why it's important to have people teaching things is so that each person doesn't have to relearn a new thing every time they live. They can have someone who told them the mistakes. Okay, now let me build off of that. Okay, now build off of this, right? So it's, uh, I, I, I had never, I always, you know, I'll make my videos sometimes and I'm like, dang it. Sometimes after I post the video or something, I'm like, I never want people to think that I think I'm all high and mighty and do everything right. Because one, I don't. And two, I haven't. That's how I know, you know? So it's the evolution of an athlete is knowing that stuff and learning that stuff. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think there's just such a big benefit to trying to be, I don't know, with all the technology out there, it just seems like there's more of a push, like you need this to do this and this to do this. And, and it's just like, try and be more human and, you know, right. And, and that's pretty much what my rebranding has been about. And, and, and I'm not knocking any companies, these, these come, right. you know, Whoopstrap has good intentions and there's no evil behind it by any means, but this is maybe a little aggressive to say, but at the end of the day, people are trying to make money too, you know? So unfortunately that creates a lot of gimmicks and a lot of sales pitches. I mean, look at the supplements, look at that industry out there. There's so much bogus BS. That's going to tell you, this is going to do this for you. And this is going to do that for you. And I tell everyone, there's not a drug or a supplement in the world. That's going to teach you how to live and eat. Right. Right. So this is the basis. This is the basis of your, of what you're doing. Focus on these percentages, focus on your sleep, focus on your nutrition, focus on your training intensity and duration, and focus on all these aspects of life. Those are your big percentages. Don't get lost in these little 1% and half a percent, right? So, um, you know, cause yeah. I, again, I, again, I don't want to come across like, oh, supplement companies are just trying to make money. There's absolutely benefit to them at times from certain companies. Um, so, but yeah, you're, I, I, I work with, you know, I don't want to go off too much on this, but I work with a lot of younger kids. Like, you know, I I have one moto kid I work with right now. He's 15. He's an absolute ripper, Jeremy Fapani. And, um, you know, he has potential to be one of them for sure. And, uh, but like, you know, these young kids, not just him, but all of them, they're, they're bombarded so much every day with, this is what this guy's doing and they had, they're eating this type of food. And this is what make is making that person who they are because they're drinking this supplement and they're having this. And it's like, I feel bad for them because there's so much confusion out there that it's like, Hey man, how do I tell you to that? You're just being sold. Like they're just telling you this and yeah, there may be a little benefit, but you don't need that. 
you know, we need, we need to put our focus here and this is where we're going to get big gains. And maybe in the future we can emphasize stuff like that, but that's not what's making Cooper Webb, Cooper Webb. Right. That's not what's making Taylor Robert, Taylor Robert. That's not, you know what I'm saying? So it's very tough. And that's what young kids have a really tough world to bring it, you know, to be brought up in because there's so much confusion out there. There's so much selling out there. And there's so much information out there. And I always tell people just because there's a lot of information doesn't mean there's a lot of good information. So it's tricky. It's very, very tricky time. Yeah. When you're, when you're working with folks, I mean, shiny object syndrome is real, you know, it's, it's, like, it's unreal. It's unbelievable. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm getting better at it, but I probably weekly I'm like, Oh, I bet you if I got those same pegs, Billy Bolt's got, you know, I could but, definitely jab zap that rock and get yeah. on that ledge for sure. Yeah, <laughs> totally. exactly. Um, so when you are working with, with people, how do you, I mean, what is, what's kind of your go-to? Cause it is, it's, it's definitely not sexy, right? Like the right. things that actually move the needle are, you know, showing up, being consistent, um, yep. you know, following a plan over time, right. Which is the hard part. So how do you help try and impart those values and ideas? Well, that's a very good point. And you're absolutely right. Everything that is the least sexy stuff is the most beneficial stuff. And uh, how I do that, it's, you know, to be honest, it's not hard with my older athletes because they get it. And that, again, goes back to what I said. It's the evolution. They've been there. They've done that. And if they've had me coaching them or they've had success in the past, they begin to see that. Um, Younger athletes, it is hard. And so how I deal with that is, you know, even like with stuff in the gym, you know, you, you know, as well as I do, let's nail the foundations of your squat. Let's build stability first, and then let's build some strength and, or then let's build some endurance and then some strength, and then we can build some explosiveness and then we can start doing stuff. I've got people that come in and their very first workout, they want to be standing on a stability ball, pressing dumbbells over their head, juggling kettle you know juggling kettlebells basically and so it's like let me teach you the basics let's teach your nervous system how to move let's teach your recruitment patterns so that they're right and then we can bring that stuff in but to keep people engaged especially with the younger kid younger generation I do do that stuff I love having people kneel on a stability ball this is good neuromuscular coordination it teaches them things but I'm not going to have them do crazy weight with it. And I'm not going to have them do anything that's breaking form down with anything. So you can tease it, but you have to have a watchful eye, right? And, and understand when, okay, bad habits are being made, and bad recruitment patterns are happening. Um, so, and then it goes down to, you know, and I shouldn't say this that much, but then it goes back to the mental aspect. You have to keep them a little bit happy because you may know that the best thing this person can be doing is, hey, man, we need to spend two months. And pretty much the only two movements we need to do are a barbell deadlift and walking dumbbell lunges, right? And we need to nail these and we need to build up strength. But some people may be in that. And even though you know that it's the right thing, they're looking at that like, dang it. Like I saw my competition put up a video of him standing on a Swiss ball and doing this, 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 and this. And and this guy's just got me doing walking lunges. And then, so, so then you start to see people lose faith in what they're doing. And then it goes back to that mental aspect. Well, now 
it doesn't matter if I'm giving them the best training program in the world, they've lost the belief system in it. And so now we're not going to get results. So that's where I, I tell everyone all the time at 25, I don't put a percentage on it, but less than half of being a coach is about what you learn in a textbook. And I really think that's where great coaches are separated from good coaches is they can understand that stuff and they understand how to read the person. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? How do I need to treat this individual person? You know, some people can do two months worth of barbell deadlifts and walking lunges and know that it's right for them, but that doesn't work for other people. They're going to lose the faith and they're going to lose the motivation. Um, so um, the, the, the answer to the question is I sprinkle it in and depending on the person, things may change, but uh, I get my work done sometimes without them knowing it or not. <laughs> I always get my result, whether they know it or not. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's just part of it. That's, that's part of being a coach. It's, you can't just do, well, this is what the textbook says. So I'm going to do this perfect every single time. It's got to change. Yeah. I've rarely seen a direct correlation from textbook, textbook to real life. No, almost, well, I shouldn't say almost never, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's where, I mean, that's, you were kind of touching on that earlier with, um, but I was thinking about it as you were saying it, but using like percentage work in the gym, you know, off of uh, rep max or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Because it worked like from an, my, I don't know. I feel like if you're an Olympic lifter and strictly Olympic lifting, maybe percentage work is for you, or maybe even like a power lifting where your sport is the gym or your sport. Correct. Lifts. Correct. Yep. But um, like for our programming and stuff we do here in Driggs at our gym, we don't do percentage work because it's not, it's not really a great way to go about it. Um, and from my own experience, yeah, yeah, like I've, if, if I walk in the gym and this goes a little bit to the wearable thing, but I got, you know, five by five at 80% for back squat today or something. Yep. And I just feel terrible. And all right. of a sudden I'm actually lifting like 72 or 73% instead that's also playing games with me mentally. And now I'm like, Oh, I'm underperforming. I should have been able to lift this, but this felt like, you know, way heavier than it should have. Right. Is it necessary? And if your sport's not the gym, why get hung up on these kind of like arbitrary metrics? You just said a mouthful on that last one. It, exactly. And that's why I tell all my guys, you're a dirt bike rider, not a weightlifter. We use the gym in order to help us on the dirt bike, but we don't use it to be the best in the gym. Yeah, and so, cool. and so that goes back to even to further on what you said, that goes back to my, my tell all, how do you feel? You know, you, Hey, I have eight, five sets of five at 80%. I'm only hitting 72.5%. Well, yeah, maybe that means let's just back the intensity down to it, but let's go back to how you feel. Maybe that means you shouldn't even be in the gym today. Maybe that means you need to be focusing on recovery. Right. So then it goes back to that whole, like, where should I be spending my time? Maybe I'm too fatigued to even be training. You know, that goes back to, it depends who you're, who you're studying, but a lot of, if you're talking true strength building here, you know, the old school rule is if you can't improve by one to 3%, you shouldn't even be in the gym. So, so it becomes a tricky little balancing act. And, and again, that's different for everyone. If, if I had someone who was trying to get stronger purely at lifting weights and they weren't able to hit their 80%, I'd say, go home go to bed, get some rest. You know what I mean? You're not in a good enough state to train today. You're not able to hit an intensity that's going to allow you to get stronger in the future. So we're wasting our time. We're just creating more fatigue and less 
and, and less of anything that we need. So, um, but you're absolutely right in what you're saying. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I think that, that point's real important too, just from, you know, people who are training on their own without somebody watching, but having the self-awareness to take that step back. And then if it's, if it's something that's continually happening when you're showing up to train or, or go ride or whatever you're doing, just have fun outside, but you're continually showing up fatigued or mentally, whatever, but taking a step back and looking at lifestyle, what am I doing outside of this is contributing right. to the overall picture. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I call it the black hole of training. I, I, I unfortunately find a lot of uncoached or not knowledgeably coached athletes. Um, they fall into the black hole of training, which is, I say, you're training too hard to be, to be recovering and you're not training hard enough to stimulate change. So you're literally yeah. just creating fatigue and building no anything. And, um, it's, like no it's easy plan. to do. It's the, no, it's just a total, uh, uh, let's, I'll be real with you. Most people spend all their career there in training. It's, 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 it's tricky, but that's where the knowledge of a coach comes in and someone who really knows what they're, what they're doing. But, uh, you know, that's why knowledgeable coaches make good money. It's not a, it's, it's hard to know. And it takes skill to understand that stuff. Yeah. That one's, that one's always been an interesting one to me. Cause like the, the overtraining is definitely real, Oh but yeah, it, but it's also something I feel like a lot of people think they're at, but they're not. And yeah, and it's yeah. like, is it an under recovery issue instead of an overtraining it, issue? Generally more of an under recovery issue for sure. Yeah. yeah. Stuff outside of their life. They, you know, you know, people, you know, and I always tell people that it's, it's all relative, right? Well, I'm doing this for a workout. Is, is that, a, is that a hard workout? It's all relative. Are you, you know, I have cyclists ask me the other day, I did a four sets of 10 minutes at 90 or hundred percent FTP. It's like, is that a hard workout? Well, I don't know. What are you talking about? If for a newbie on a mount on cycling, that would literally destroy them for a world tour rider that'd be a walk in the park, you know? So it's, it's all relative. And then it goes back to, yeah. What are you doing outside of your life? Do, do you have the ability to do that four sets of 10 minutes and then go home and have a good recovery drink and then eat a balanced meal later after that. And then you get to focus on recovery or are you busting that workout out at five in the morning? Cause it was the only time you could get it in. And then you rushed off to work without any food in your system afterwards and then you drank coffee all day and worked all day and then got home at six and ate a crappy dinner and went back to bed and woke up and repeated the subject, right? <laughs> it's, it's the same training program, but both are going to have a significantly different outcome. So yeah, you're, to go on what you're saying, it's, it's an under recovery for most people. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, just that also goes back into understanding the athlete, you know, some people are so mentally tough, they can dig themselves in a hole and they don't even realize it. And some people are so soft, they think they're in a hole and it's like, we're just starting to break into it, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're, we're, we're just getting it. We, we are finally building enough fatigue where something's gonna actually happen. <laughs> so right. it depends on the person, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's tricky. And again, that goes back to where it's about understanding people. Yeah, real quick before I leave this, cause I wanna talk some nutrition. Um, do you have any metrics that you kind of at least keep in the back of your mind to use with athletes? Like, um, just as an example, like a, a one mile test or something to where you have this off the bike kind of 
things where you're like, this is where I'd kind of like to be in general. And if we're here, we're close enough. And then we can focus more specifically on, you know, weaknesses or whatever. I do have some, but it goes back to kind of what we talked about earlier about their dirt bike racers. First, um, I have some tests. I have, I have weights, some lifts in the gym. You know, I have like a 500 meter ski for a lot of my guys, but again, all the stuff I really care about is what's your lap time doing. Right. You know, so, so yes and no, I do have those metrics, but if, if Taylor's five rep max is down by 15 to 20 pounds, but his lap times are three seconds quicker, it's all good. (laughs) So, so yeah. Um, but yes, and, and I do have certain things and, you know, I can, you know, with some of my guys, we'll do a lot of cycling and, you know, I can tell by where their power's at compared to what their heart rate's doing. I can tell where our fitness level is. Um, I don't really have my moto guys do too much like power focused, like 20 minute efforts or anything that are really, really testing them. But I have the ability to see, okay, you've done this amount of power output for this long. Ooh, man, your heart rate was 10 beats higher to do that. Well, three months ago, you were doing that same power output. 10 beats less. Okay. We've lost something. We need to put a little emphasis here. Um, right. so, so yes, I do. Um, but my tell all one is always, what are the lap times doing? What's the heart rate doing in a race? Okay. Dante and Austin just did a two hour, two hour race pegged at their threshold with no issues. Cool. We're doing all right. You know what I'm saying? So, um, those are my, my tell alls is what's on the bike, but yeah, I do. I do have other metrics, but I don't live and die by them. Yeah. What is your, let's see, maybe from a top looking down brief overview before more specifics, nutrition guidelines or thoughts on nutrition? Okay. Oh man, this is Pandora's box here. Yeah. Or that this is, I always tell people, I'm like, man, nutrition is like politics and religion. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like the thing, like, holy crap no matter what I say right now, I'm going to make a few people mad. Um, (laughs) I'll tell you the same same thing. I tell everyone that steps foot inside my dream. If I can boil it down into one sentence, if it wasn't here 10,000 years ago, don't put it in your mouth. That's it. So, um, okay. Nutrition. Um, Again, this is maybe going to go against what a lot of people think. I'm not really a calorie counter. I'm not really a percentage of gram carbohydrate, uh, percentage of grams, carbohydrates, protein, and fat counter. This is going to sound redundant again. I'm a plan of how's this food making you feel and how are you reacting to it? Um, so I teach everyone pretty much there's three, three ways to eat. Um, you have what's going to be called like more of a protein type. You have the other end of the spectrum, which is going to be more of a carbohydrate type. And then you have the middle, which is going to be more of a mixed type. Um, And my honest opinion is, you know, there's always the hot topic of veganism or keto, or there's so much stuff out here, which again, just goes back to our talk earlier of branding and people trying to put a stamp on something so they can make some money. But, um, what, what are your ancestors, right? This is, this is a huge dependent, right? What is your genome from? You know, people always are like, it's impossible to be a vegan. I'm like, it's hard for most people absolutely it's not going to work for the majority of people or you know you can't this person eats way too much meat well guess what if their ancestors lived in the frozen tundra well guess what they weren't eating 
plants. <laughs> so, so that genome is going to be much more focused on animal flesh, right? Um, so I kind of teach, you know, while people can't know their ancestors from forever ago, because realistically the genome doesn't change that much. Our genome has changed like 3% from cavemen, right? So, so that's why I bring that up. If your ancestors were an equatorial type and they grew up eating fresh fruit and the occasional meat, yeah, you might be able to survive off a vegan diet. So, well, most people don't know that. Then it becomes, well, let's try them. Okay. Let's start with a balanced meal. Let's start with a balanced 50, 50. Right. And I always tell people carbs are one end of the spectrum, protein and fat are the other protein and fat pretty much always go together. Right. In nature, any protein and fat sources going together, meat and nuts and seeds are your general ones. So, um, Let's start with a mixed type. And um, I teach everyone I work with basically how foods affect you. This is the sensations you're going to have when you have too many carbohydrates. This is what you're going to feel like short-term. This is what you're going to feel like long-term. These are the sensations, sensations you're going to have if you're having too much pro protein. This is how you're going to feel short-term. This is what's going to happen if you do it chronically. And so I have people start, boom, let's start with a balance. How do you feel? Okay, well, you need to do this. Okay, well, let's maybe shift a little more protein because you feel like you're not recovering well, or you feel like you're not doing this or that. Um, and so then it's just kind of playing with it because you know, as well as me, you know, what are you doing for training? Your off season diet, what you're eating in the off season, isn't going to be the same as when you're training 20 hours a week, you know? So then, you know, and what you're eating is going to change, you know, you might need a, you might need, you're going to need more carbohydrates likely if you're putting in these massive training hours. So, um, my approach is I'm generally, um, and this is even controversial for some people. I tell everyone, it's all about quality. What are you eating? And I, I know this is controversial with some people, but in every ounce of legitimate research I've found, I am extremely big person on organic. I am extremely big person on legitimate meat, what, whether that's grass-fed organic, grass-fed, grass-finished, that's important. Um, um, I am huge on that because at the end of the day, this goes back to our stress talk earlier. The goal is to create the least amount of stress in the body so that we can recover. If you're eating animals or plants that have been sprayed or have ingested, chemicals, pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, you are what you eat. If you're eating an animal that's ingested with that stuff, you are ingesting that stuff. Those are toxins to your system. Your system is having to throw an immune response up, which causes cortisol. Remember, cortisol is the same thing that happens when you have a hard training session. Cortisol is the same thing when you get in a fight with someone. Cortisol, it's all the same. So if you're constantly putting toxic food in your body, you're constantly going to be really releasing cortisol and spending way too much time in that catabolic state or sympathetic nervous system state. Right. So, um, so I am huge and you know, that is hard to teach people on and most people maybe don't agree or they don't see the benefit in it. Um, but I can tell you in my household here, my wife and I, um, it's all organic and we have our own garden in the back and we, have our, you know, we're growing our own vegetables and we have a good local meat supply that's organic grass fed. Um, so that's kind of my other side of it is, um, it's quality, you know, because 20, 20 grams of protein from a, which is a whole nother ball game of commercial farming, but, um, 
you know, 20 grams of protein from a commercial farmed cow is not the same as 20 grams of protein from a grass fed, grass finished free range one. Um, you know, the antibiotics that are stored in the fat one is a way more fatty. And the other thing I always tell people is everyone always wants to eat the fat, which fat is often the most nutritious part of a lot of that stuff, but guess where all toxins are stored right. in the, in the fat. So, um, so yeah, I can go on a lot of ways on this, but I guess you could say that is my overview of it. Um, just really balance. And most people need to realize that most of the time it's spent at balance. Veganism is probably not going to work that well for most people. Just like eating only meat is not going to work that well for people. You need to find that balance. You need to make sure you're not eating foods that you're developing an immune response to, which a lot of people do. I think a lot of people have an immune response to food and they don't even realize it. And it doesn't mean that it means they're going to break out in rashes, but it may mean like they're having brain fog or they're having inflammation um, and things like that. So, um, you know, my general overview is eat a balanced diet of quality food, shop the perimeter of your grocery store. If it's in a box or a package, you probably shouldn't be eating it because it's, again, it goes back to the caveman thing. You know, half the foods in a grocery store are made of things that our bodies don't even know what the hell it is, right? Your body can't break down some chemical that's been made in a laboratory. It's not made to do that. And so yeah. if we're constantly eating that stuff, again, you're constantly creating that immune response. You're constantly creating inflammation. You're constantly creating bloating. You're constantly creating issues that are always putting your body in this fight or flight straight. So it goes back to the under recovering thing. If everything you're doing in your life is making your body toxic and put toxic and putting you in that catabolic breakdown state, you're not going to be able to hold up to very much training. Right. And then the whole other side of it is <laughs> I give this talk to my, um, I give this talk to all my young kids that think they can come into the gym and they brag about how they, oh, I don't feel good. I ate Chick-fil-A before this. And I say, Hey man, if you want to build your muscles and ligaments and tendons off a of Chick-fil-A, I can tell you right now, you're going to have a life full of injuries and muscle strains and muscle tears and or under recovery. But if you build, you know, it's no different than grabbing a bone or a, a tendon and ligament from a commercially raised antibiotic fed animal. It snaps, it breaks. It's not strong. Have you ever had a tendon or a ligament or felt it from a grass fed free range organic or anything that's been free range? It's strong. It's vital. It has all the nutrients. So that again, I said this to someone yesterday. I'm like, if I die tomorrow, the only thing I want you to know is remember me as the guy that said, you are what you eat. <laughs> no matter what you do, no matter what you do, it doesn't matter how good you are here and there. Your body's repairing and regenerating itself every day. Are you going to do it off a of Chick-fil-A or are you going to do it off a of real food? And so um, I guess that's my nutrition in a nutshell. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I mean, the other, the other thing that's, fascinating is if you do make that shift and you try and eat you know um more whole or all whole foods and all that stuff the quantity thing kind of starts to take care of itself correct um, yes which is interesting because like you're gonna just stop eating at some point because you don't want to eat more broccoli and meat or whatever it is correct whereas as soon as you introduce you know pasta or some out of a box like yeah, you can eat that and then go back and eat more of the other things. Well, here's another thing people don't realize too. There's two ways to shut the hunger signal off in the body. 
One is to physically fill the stomach up. Another one is once you receive all the vitamins and nutrients that your body needs, the hunger signal signal is shut off. So do you want to fill that stomach up with a bunch of potato chips and then your hunger hunger signals off? Meanwhile, you have no energy because you haven't actually ingested anything that's valuable to your body. Or do you want to shut it off because you've gotten the antioxidants and all the vitamins and minerals that you need, right? Because one's going to leave you feeling a lot better than the other. And one's going to have a lot less injuries than the other. And one's going to have a lot higher threshold than the other. So um, it's tricky, but you know, I'm sure you know as well as me, it's a hard sell. And, and, and the other thing I tell everyone is it's not easy. <laughs> Eating well is not easy. I have never the guy that says this stuff's easy. The easy way is always the wrong way. It's way easier to go through the drive through or it's way easier to cook minute rice instead of slow simmering 30 minute rice. Um, but as a general rule of thumb, if it's easier, it's probably not the way it should be. Um, you know, then I can go a million places. I can, you know, it's way easier to throw your food in the microwave versus throwing it on the stovetop. It's not the same food after you microwave it, you know? So it's, uh, I don't want to open up too many holes because you don't know me well, but people get sick of me. They bring up one subject and I'm talking 20 minutes later about three other things, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's tricky. It's, it's, it is my hardest thing to teach to people. And, um, you know, health is tricky, you know, and this doesn't apply as much to athletes, especially because a lot of them are younger, but people unfortunately don't care about their health till it's at a crisis. Right. And that, and that's a problem. And so it's hard to tell everyone they should be eating this and they should be eating that and that this does matter versus that, um, when they feel okay. They, because a lot of people goes back to the feeling thing. A lot of people haven't done the work to really listen to their body. A lot of them are either numbing it with a medication or they're numbing it with something else and they don't really know how to feel. So while I may be able to feel that I have inflammation in their knees or that I'm a little lethargic to them, it's just, well, that's what happens when I get old. Oh, when you get old, you just get tired. It's like, no, when you are are getting a disease is when you get tired. This is dis-ease in the body, right? This is something that is an issue and it's not old age. It's, Oh, I just, all of a sudden I had high blood pressure. No, you didn't. All of a sudden you noticed you had high blood pressure. It was a slow buildup or all of a sudden my knee hurt. Well, nope. Something's probably been going on for many years. It just suddenly let go, you know? So that's, that's a very, very, very tricky thing. And again, goes back to the evolution of an athlete, but it's a very hard thing. I struggle not so much, not so much with my pro guys. Um, it's more, and, and same thing, it's more with my 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds, right? And, and, and in the same breath, it goes back to me saying, I'm not perfect, nor was I ever. Because guess what? When I was 15, 16, and 17, I didn't have this knowledge. I didn't have someone telling me it. I wasn't eating organic. I didn't know it. Um, and, 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 and who's to say if at that moment in my life, I could have had someone like me telling it, I'd have done the same thing there and said, this guy's crazy. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm saying? So it's, um, it's always the evolution and it's always understanding stuff and stuff that I, I think, you know, I think I have all the answers right now. And I'm sure in 10 years, there's some things I'm saying that I'll look back on and say, Hmm, I was wrong, you know? Yeah. And, and that is, that takes a lot of growing in a person. And, you know, the, anytime, anytime a person thinks they got it all figured out, I said, I always say this to my people. I said, the moment you think you have it all figured out is when I realize is when you need to realize you have nothing figured out. 
and uh, it's tricky. You're, you're always learning. You're always growing. Um, and that is the evolution of it. That yeah. is the re-evolution. That's the, that's the whole re-evolve. That <laughs> yeah, is, that's the, the framework of it is we need to re-evolve. We need to go back to simpler times to learn how we really need to be. So, yeah. Yeah, if I'm still saying the exact same thing in five years that I'm saying now I'm not doing my own due diligence. Yeah. And, and you're not growing. You're yeah. not growing. We always need to be growing. And if you're, if you're stale, you know, I think it's the old Albert Einstein quote. A body that's a body in motion tends to stay in motion. Perfect. It's the same yeah. thing with your mind, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the second you become close, closed on your belief systems and, you know, and, and it's funny because again, to personally bash myself, I've caught myself doing this a couple of times. I am very, I've done a lot of research and, you know, whether it's the organic thing or this and that, and let's be real, I'll be the whole other side of this is not all organic is created equal. And there is a bunch of, just like I say, there's people trying to make money all over. There's some bogus organic stuff out there. Um, but anyways, um, you know, I catch myself sometimes when people tell me stuff, I almost, they start bringing it up and I see where it's going and they say something and I don't show it, but deep inside, I can feel myself put up a block and be like, you're wrong. I've been down this road. This is wrong. This is wrong. And so I've had to really learn to take a step back and be like, give it some time, give it a thought. Like maybe you're wrong or maybe you are missing something. Um, so that's very important to never just become so set in your belief systems and just be like, no, this is what it is. And if you think otherwise you're wrong and I'm right, because then you do quit growing. And once you quit growing as a person, shit, you're basically dead. Right. So it's, the beauty of sport, the beauty of competition is it's, it forces you to keep growing. We want people want to get better to do well at a race. And I guess my goal with a lot of people is I'm going to make you get better at doing well in the race. And I'm also going to make you better at being a person because the better of a person you are, the better you're going to do in a race, you know? So, um, yeah, that's it in my, my mind for that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause that it always seems to lead like wherever you right? like we're, here i'm yeah promoting strength and conditioning and like blah 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 but at the end of the day the it doesn't that's just like your foot in the door it's <laughs> a know? sliver it's a it's, sliver of the yeah, equation and like you come in with one thing and then pretty soon you're like trying to shore up some other weakness and you're like oh i need to you know now i need to work on my sleep now i need to work on my nutrition right. now i should probably try and make you know, I got to live with my relationships every day. Maybe I should try and make those yes. the best they could be. And like, because people try to separate that stuff, but it's all right. the same. If you're in oh, relationships that don't make you happy, this is a drain on your training. And so right. that's where, that's where I think some people, I, I, I'll be honest. I have way different philosophies than people. I have a very holistic approach. And I know for a fact, some people are turned off by it because it seems crazy and that's fine. That is totally fine. But I've been in the game for a while. I've opened my mind a lot and I feel that's the best way. So it's very whole, the holistic approach of knowing that what I tell everyone every day, everything affects everything. Everything you do affects something. Everything in nature affects everything. You can't take a single thing out of nature and expect nothing to change, right? You can't take the microorganisms. You can't kill the ants, right? It's, it's, it seems like a simple thing. Oh, all the ants are dead. That's fine. Ants are a pest, right? Oh, well, guess what they do, guys? <laughs> they're fertilizing the soil. They're doing all this stuff to the soil, which then grows the food that we're eating, which then is eaten by the animals that we're eating, which, you know what I'm saying? So everything affects everything. And 
the more people can realize that's true in their daily life with your relationships, your financial ability, your happiness level, right? Like how happy are you in your life? This is something that affects how you're performing. And to go back to you talking about people coming in for, you know, a workout or whatever, I tell people this all the time because, you know, a lot of people come into my gym two days a week, but I have some people that just come in one day a week. So I tell them, I said, I see you for one hour out of a week. And I tell them all the time, I said, I know you're doing well in this hour. I can see it. You're doing everything right. But there's 23 more hours in this day. And I have no control over what you're doing. And those 23 hours have everything to do with this one hour we're doing right here. So it's, uh, it's tricky. And you know, you, you have to put it back on people like that because in my earlier years, when I didn't have the knowledge and I was maybe working with someone for weight loss and they weren't seeing the results and I'm sitting there racking my brain, like, damn it. Like I'm telling them everything. Right. And I think I'm telling them, right. And they're killing it in here for this hour. And then it's like, I'm beating myself up. And then I kind of wisen up to it. It's like, hold on. I only see this person for an hour. And then you start digging more and take that more holistic approach. And what's going on here? What's going on here? Oh, oh, I didn't realize you were going through a divorce. I didn't realize that you're the type of person that eats more when they're stressed. I didn't realize you were working 70 hours a week. I didn't realize this and that. Okay, well, let's change things up and let's go this way and this way and this way. Oh, okay. Now we're seeing changes. So um, a lot of it is you got to put that back on people. And I've worked with people in the past that, well, I'm not losing weight. Okay, well, I don't know, man. I mean, what we're doing here is right. What we're, you must be slipping somewhere else, you know? <laughs> so yeah. once you, once you put that accountability on a person of like, Hey, I'm giving you everything I've got right here. So if you go to the store and buy a tub of ice cream and eat it, you're not just failing yourself. You're failing me. And then I tell people, and that's, this is a little rude maybe to say, but fortunately I'm at a point where I'm not chasing people to be a pleaser so I can get a dollar bill out of them. So I'm, I'm here to help you and I'm going to tell you what it takes to help you. And uh, if you don't do it and you're doing this and that at the end of the day, unfortunately, it's not hurting me. You're the only one that's being hurt. And so once you put that accountability on a person and make them realize like it's up to them, I can tell you everything you want to hear and everything you need to do, but I can't put that broccoli down your throat. And I can't tell you to go to bed at 10 o'clock and make sure you get that eight hours of sleep. And I can't tell you to quit drinking coffee at four o'clock in the afternoon you know? So it's, it's tricky. And this is very, very challenging. That, that is the challenge of it all. And that's where I've found the best way to do it is to educate people. And that's why I, you know, to go back to the nutrition thing, I don't give people meal plans. I don't believe in it. I, because they need to understand it. And, and so that when they are in that pickle, oh crap, Jared said, I'm supposed to have this, this, and this, but I don't have anything here. Okay. Well, okay. Let me, let me think back to my knowledge. Okay. I know I need a protein source. I know I need a carbohydrate source. Okay. Well, they have brown rice, white rice. Okay. I'm going to do the brown rice. I want to keep my blood sugar a little more stable, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's tricky. And it's, you know, it's good to talk to someone like you who gets it because you know, you've been down the road, you understand it. And so it's hard to teach people it though. Yeah, for sure. And, and what is that old adage? If you give somebody fish, they can eat for a day. But if you teach them to fish, they can feed themselves for a lifetime. Exactly. That's and my, it, I tell people that all the time. My goal is to teach you how to fish. Yeah. Nutrition so much that way, because <clears throat> I mean, I've seen it, I've done it. Like 
yeah, sure. I'll knock this out for six weeks, follow this plan. Maybe I picked up a few things, but at the end of the day, that's not sustainable long-term. Correct. I didn't, I didn't make any true changes within myself. I lost a bunch of water weight. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't lose 10 pounds of fat in a week, people. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was angry and hungry for six weeks. Yeah, yeah. pissed off at everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's you're exactly right. Teach people how to fish. That's the key because then they can feed themselves every single day instead of being sold every single day. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I to, to elaborate on that a little bit, I do tell people it's kind of funny because, and I don't want to make this deep and weird in any way, but like my, uh, you know, obviously I, I want to make money. I want to do well. I'm not a person that's driven by money. My goal is not to be a crazy rich trainer guy. Like I really do like to help people. And so um, I kind of, oh shoot, I totally just lost my train of thought, but uh, oh yeah, I tell people all the time. I'm like, realistically, I have the worst business model in the world <laughs> because I, you know, like people come to me and they're like, what do I need to buy? What supplements do I need? And what do I need? And how many times do I need to come here? And I'm, I'm usually the guy that's like, you know, if I was a money, money, a guy who wanted money, I'd be like, Hey, I need to see you five days a week. You need to buy these supplements and these supplements for me. And then we need to do this. And then I can sell you this meal plan and we can do this. And it's like, I'm usually the guy that's like, you know what? I want to start off with you coming to me one day a week. I want you to incorporate this, this, and this on your own. And I want you to start cleaning up this, this, and this. And everything that you can do for health, you don't need me for. You know what I mean? <laughs> so right. it's kind of funny because I tell people it's like my business model sucks. But at the same time, in the same breath, and it's served me well for the last almost 12 years that I've owned my business now, um, people see that. And when they sense a person that actually cares and isn't trying to suck a dollar out of you, you get your money because they realize that you're in it for the right reasons. And, um, you know, the, there's the people that train you for a little bit and are just out for what they want. People see through that. Those, those aren't long-term, you know, those people don't hold on to long-term clients and they don't have long-term people because, uh, people can see through it. And, uh, so the big thing is really, uh, teach people how to do it on their own. And at the end of the day, the goal isn't for them to train with you for forever. Right. The goal is to teach them and then hopefully they go off someday. And, you know, realistically at the end of the day, I always want to be the guy that they look back on and I try to teach these young kids, you know, the nutrition and stuff. I hope they're a 40 year old person and someday and say, huh, Jared was right. You know what I mean? He, he, he was trying to help me. He was giving me a hard time about eating Chick-fil-A, but deep down he actually cared and really wanted me to eat re really good food because he didn't want me to battle this and he didn't want me to battle that, you know? So it's, it's, uh, you know, the worst business model is the best business model. Teach people how to be independent, think for themselves and be creative. And, um, you have a happy, happy, healthy world. And that's really the goal for it all at the end of the day. Yep. Definitely create better humans, yeah. you know, create better athletes and exactly. Uh, yep. You're a human first and an athlete second. If you're a good human. You're a great athlete. Awesome. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up. Um, yeah. Sorry, I ramble, man. I'm a talker. Oh, no, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it's good. Put out anywhere where uh, people can get a hold of you, um, see what you're doing, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I have my, um, oh, man, I'm not good on social media and stuff, but I have my personal Instagram, which is, geez, I think it's, it's Jared Becker 976. 
Um, and then I have the Reevolve Instagram. So just R-E-E-V-O-L-V-E, -E -E, um, or it's Reevolve Life. And then um, I'm currently doing um, redoing my website because we didn't really talk about it much, but I have rebranded recently. I um, changed my name, and so I'm changing everything. So I it will I have the domain for reevolvelife.com. Um, so that'll be eventually another place, but, um, yeah, those are the places. And then just Facebook, I have my personal and, um, business account. So that's pretty much it. But, uh, you know, I don't spend a ton of time on them cause, uh, I'm living in the real world and loving it. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell people all the time, once you put that phone down and get away from that screen, that's when you're living. So everyone listen to this podcast. And then set your phone down and go do something productive. <laughs> right. Listen to it while you're outside. Listen to it while you're doing it. I, I tell people that all the time. I listen to quite a few podcasts and um, I'm definitely not going to listen to it if I'm doing intervals or something. But I said, when you know, if you're doing some steady state endurance work, um, podcasts are perfect because one, they keep you low where you need to be. Otherwise, people get revved up too quick and you want to just hold that steady heart rate podcasts are good because once that heart rate's elevated that mind's elevated a little bit and i personally find i ingest the best with my heart rate in the 130 140 range so it's a good endurance place yeah uh, it's been a game changer for me probably in the last 10 years podcasts and audible books i still i love music i still listen to music but i bet 80 percent of the time it's either some type of book on you know audible or uh yeah mm -hmm. podcast yeah that, and that's huge it's Got to expand the mind, not just the body. Because remember, it's all one. So if you're if you're getting smarter, you're getting fitter. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. I was I was I don't don't really do much of this, and so when I got your email, it was it was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And um, it's funny you mentioned Destry in it, and I got back from that. And right when I saw your email, it was right after I got done riding my adventure bike with Destry. So it was like, oh, oh, nice. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So it's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. you coming on and love to do it again in the future. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, let's keep in touch. And uh, I appreciate you guys. Yeah. You too. Thank you. All right. Cool. See ya. Bye.